some of the things that's going to happen when you look out and see what can I contribute to, what can I give, I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have a voice that's saying, it's just no use. It's, it's, it's out of control now. There will be a voice telling you that you'll be wasting your time and wasting your energy and wasting your effort. I say, don't listen to it. Listen to that still small voice that says, I can do something and I ought to do it. We ought to do it. The Israeli said this, nothing can resist the will of a people that will stake even their existence on the extent of their purpose for good. I strongly believe that, that all of us have some work to do, that each one of us showed up to do something, that each one of us showed up to contribute something to life, and that if we don't do it, it will not be done. Be it that you want to help and contribute to you or do something for the homeless. Whatever you want to do, if you get up in the morning out of a sense of office and decide that I am an opening for the universe, that life can work through and use me as a channel and as an instrument for change. How will you serve the world? What do they need that your talent can provide? That's all you have to figure out. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. You are ready and able to do beautiful things in this world. And after you walk through those doors today, you will only ever have two choices, love or fear. Choose love and don't ever let fear turn you against your playful heart. Begin to see yourself as an opening for the universe to move through, to work through to make a difference in life. See yourself being used by life to improve the quality of life, to expand and to grow.
It is a question that every Christian should ask themselves when they decide to put on the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and baptism. How will you change the world? And often that question goes unanswered because we look at the world and its problems and we see everything that's happening from shootings to people being, um, having um, not enough to eat. And we look at the world's problems and we say to ourselves, the world's problems are too big. And so by default, one of the things that happens to us as Christians is that we sit around waiting on the world to change. Good morning. My name is Javon Johnson. I am a chaplain in the United States Navy. I am stationed at Camp Pendleton. I am, um, right now I'm working with the Marines at uh, 111, and I am excited to be here with you guys today. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about our, our situation and us waiting on the world to change. Now, I understand, like I said earlier, like we look at the problems and we see people with political unrest and we see shootings and we see poverty and we see all these things happen in the world and we say to ourselves, and, and I know a lot of us do it, I can't wait until Jesus comes back. Waiting on the world to change. Or in fact, we might say we were affiliated with a particular political um, social association and we vote for politicians to change the world. Waiting on the world to change. One of our favorite things that we tend to do, we often sometimes defer the things to Jesus that are actually tasked to us. And so God may have put somebody in your life that has a problem with suicide or they might have financial problems or they might have problems with their marriage or something going on at work. And one of the things that we tend to do as Christians is we say, oh, brother or sister, I'm going to pray for you which in turn is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to look at the situation that someone's going through and say to yourself, hey, I know that I serve a powerful God who can change your situation. I'm going to go to God in prayer. But I often think that sometimes God has actually tasked us with the ability to do something about their situation. Listen to this. In James chapter 2, verse 15 through 16, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So again, I understand that our, our go-to move is to go to God and pray and say, God, be powerful, be wonderful, do the things to make the world a better place. But at the same time, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If you say to them, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but do, does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? You see, Jesus is inviting us to participate with him. He is inviting us to participate in the amazing things that he's doing all across the world, all across our communities, all across our neighborhoods. So before I go on and continue in this lesson, I have this question for you guys. I want you to think about it through the sermon. Is merely coming to church participating with Jesus? Is merely coming to church participating with Jesus. And so you have Jesus. He, he gets to a situation where he has an opportunity to be baptized by John the Baptist. He goes, he gets baptized, comes out of the water. God says, this is my son who I am well pleased. He goes off, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the enemy. He comes out and then he goes and he looks for his disciples. And he simply says this, come and follow me. Come and follow me. 
And it's interesting, as you hear what Jesus says, and the the people like Peter and Levi, and they hear this, and they say, come follow me. They leave everything, and they just follow Jesus. Now, for us to understand why they would do something so crazy, like they just give up their job and come and follow Jesus, one of the things that's happening in this time, being a rabbi is one of a prestigious thing to be. Like if you're a Jewish boy growing up in the temple, you grew up in the temple learning everything you can about the word of God. And then you get to a certain point, a certain age, and then you have to go up to a rabbi and say to the rabbi, Rabbi, um, can I come and follow you? And more often than not, if they were still doing something different, if they were a fisherman like Peter or they were a tax collector like Levi, the answer to that question is, no, you can't, you can't come follow me. And so they were reduced to just being just a regular dude to make a living. But the prestigious thing to do is to, have, to go and follow a rabbi. So when Jesus, one of the most prestigious rabbis, come up to him and say, hey, come and follow me, they say, I'm out. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm ready to come and follow you. So when we think about the situation, sometimes I often think that we think in our 21st century mind when it says come and follow Jesus, that it simply means come, believe, and go to church. Yet Jesus says something very different when he's talking about come and follow me. I want you to pay attention to what's happening here. Read these verses. Matthew chapter 9, verse 19. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Mark chapter 1, verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath day came, he went to preach in the synagogues. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, one Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciple walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Again, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to the disciple, let us go over to the other side. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Again, in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Come and follow me. Come see what I am doing. Watch these amazing miracles. that I'm about to heal the sick. I'm about to take care of the poor. I'm about to cast out demons. I'm about to do all these amazing things. I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And so you have the situation where Jesus is, is um, with, with a crowd of people. As he had just heard about his, his, um, his cousin, John the Baptist, dying. And he goes off into a, a, a level to pray, pray to God. And then the crowds, a crowd of about 5,000 people followed him. And when they followed him, this is what happened. It says, when Jesus landed and saw the loud crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approaches, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And so I can see the disciples looking. They're like, all right, all right. So, hey, come on, come on. Hey, let, let's count how many you have for. Hey, how many you got? 4,987. All right, cool. How many you got? Five, five, 501. All right, cool. How many you got? 6,000. Peter, how you get 6,000? You got the minister count going over here? No, hey, all right, cool, cool, come on. All right, like, how, much, how much food we got? One, two, three, four, five loaves of bread and two fish. Yo, Jesus, this ain't going to work. <laughs> this is not, not going to work. This is not, not going to work. What are you talking about? You want us to feed them? This is not going to work. 
And so Jesus, we know the story, Jesus takes the bread, prays up to heaven, and they had so much food that they had leftovers. That everybody had their bellies full and they had leftovers. Jesus could have simply did that right off the bat. He could have simply said, you know what, I'm Jesus, I'm the Son of God, I'm going to pick up the bread, I'm going to show you this miracle. Hey, no, he said, no, I need you to give them something to eat. And he is indicating to all of us, every last one of us, including his disciples, that the same power that I have to take out, cast out demons, to get rid of spirits, the same power that I have, you have access to that same power. You give them something to eat. You see, Jesus is not calling us to believe in him. He is calling us to serve with him. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is not calling us to believe in him. He is calling us to serve with him. And so you have the situation with, with Jesus, and he, he um, I'm going to read it for you right here. It says, when they came to a crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizure and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Dang, <laughs> Jesus kind of hard. <laughs> How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Jesus is upset. He is frustrated. He's like, are you serious right now? I have been showing you the way. I've been showing you how to do it. I'm saying the same power that you have access, that I have access to, is the same power you have access to, and you can't cast out the demon. I, I can see the disciples over there like, man, Jesus tripping. Like, why are you tripping out? Like, we tried to do it, yeah. <laughs> we tried. Like why, like, why is he so upset? But he is upset because, think about it, he is about to die. And he knows that at some point he will not be with them to bail them out. And he needs them to believe just a little bit, just a little bit, that the same power that he has access to is the same power that they have access to so that they can cast out a simple demon. So they go up to Jesus and they say this. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Ouch. Truly, I tell you, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moving. This is the most important thing that he says to them after that. He says, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be. He said, if you just have a little bit of faith, the faith is small, that my God is so powerful that he can take your little bitty faith and turn it into something magnificent, something miraculous. He says, nothing will be impossible for you. And that is the same thing that we need to understand for us as a church, that nothing is impossible with our God. That anything that we see in our lives that are happening to us, whether it's around us in our community or happening in our own lives right now, that nothing is impossible with God if you just have a little bit of faith that he can do it for you. But he is not calling us simply to just watch and observe. He is calling us to also participate in this. And so after Jesus feeds the 5,000, he sends the um, disciples on their way. He said, hey, go over to the other side. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you over there on that side. And so they go over to the other side, and um, Jesus walks up. He sees the boat from a distance, and so he just decides he's going to walk on water. 
I don't know why he thought it was a good idea. I maybe did it before or something. He just started walking on water over to the disciples. And the disciples were like, oh, no, it's a ghost. They're getting scared. They're freaked out. He said, oh, no, 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 calm down. It's me. I'm Jesus. It's me over here. And so Peter, being Peter, he's thinking, okay, wait a minute. We just had a lesson on faith. We did have a lesson on how we can feed 5,000. Yo, I can walk on water. <laughs> Yo, he, he says this. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come onto water with you. And Jesus says this, come, come. And Peter gets off the boat, walks onto the water, and he starts walking on water with Jesus Christ. This is an amazing miracle that is happening right now. He's walking on water. He's thinking, man, this is amazing. I'm so, hey, I got more faith than y'all over there. I'm so good. I got this. And then the wind started to blow a little bit, and he started to stumble. Then he looks down at the water. He says, oh, man, I'm walking on water. <laughs> and he falls in. Help me. Help Jesus. Help me. Help me. Help me. He says, no, 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 no. Why do you doubt? Why do you have such little faith? And, and I think that we in this church are in a transition. Like, Peter, I feel that as we came into this church and we started to put ourselves in a position to come here and serve, that I felt that the people in this church had a faith like Peter. And they, and they were willing, and we are willing and able and wanting God to do amazing and miraculous things. But we, got, we just like Peter, we got out on the boat, and we started walking, and the wind came, and we lost our minister. Then we looked down at the water, and we bent the sink, and we lost our youth minister. Why do you doubt? Have faith that God will still do amazing things, that God still has the same power. Don't lose your faith. Just come. Be willing to get off the boat. And I think that sometimes I know for a fact that the devil is trying to attack us. The devil is always working. The enemy is always lurking. He's looking. He's seeing what's happening at Mission BL Church of Christ. He said, oh, no, they're about to be powerful. I need to go over there. I need to cause fear. I need to make sure that they don't get it, that they don't understand that there's a power that they have access to. Because if they do, I know they're going to change the community in Mission BL. But I want to tell you right now, I don't want you to fear. I want you to just get off the boat, and I want you to come. You see, Jesus is inviting us to share in his glory. You see, Jesus could have simply been like, hey, no, nah, Peter, you can stay on the boat. <laughs> I got that. You don't, what you need to walk on water for? I'm walking on water. I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. You don't need to come on the boat, off the boat. But no, he says, no, 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 come, come with me. I want you to actually share in what's happening. I want you to see this amazing thing. I want you to actually have enough faith that you can actually walk on water. But check this out. We cannot share in this glory if we do not get off the boat. You cannot share in the glory of God if you don't get off the boat and do something and participate with Jesus. And we have a dilemma here in our church. But before I get to that dilemma, I want to read a passage in Exodus. And it says this. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning to evening. When his father-in-law saw that Moses was doing what Moses was doing for the people, he said, 
What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people will come to, who come to you will only wear themselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring the decrees, disputes to him. Teach him, them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they ought to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Moses has been chosen by God to lead his people. And Moses, because he's Moses and because he just did all the stuff with seven plays and walking through the sea, all, the, all that stuff, he thinks that he has to do it all by himself. See, God has tasked me with this particular thing. And unfortunately, that's the dilemma that we have in this church. We have tons of people who continue to do the same stuff for the church and other people sitting on the boat, sitting on the boat waiting for the world to change. So in other words, we have the same people giving the sermons and teaching class. We have the same people teaching the young people. We have the same people getting up and doing the Lord's Supper. And, and I get it. I understand that they do a fantastic job. Everybody does a, fa a fantastic job. But some of the older men should not be over here. I'm looking over here. I see some young people. Now, don't get mad. I used to be a youth minister. I can call you out. <laughs> but you guys can get up here and do a, a Lord's Supper. I see people in the audience who are 34 years old, uh, by, by my age. You can get up here and do the Lord's Supper, but don't, don't be upset. Don't be down on yourself. Because just like Moses, I think the leadership has a Moses problem. Well, we, 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 we got a, an opportunity to teach people and train people to do, but we don't train them. And we just say, hey, will somebody please fill out the form that, that Alicia sent out? And the same people are going to fill out that form. And you want to know why the same people are going to fill out the form? Because some people do not feel adequately trained to do the things that the church is asking them to do. And so just like Moses in this situation, Jethro is coming to him and saying, man, what you're doing is not good. The only thing you're going to do is wear yourself out. And we got a lot of older men. They're over 50, over 60. At some point, they're not going to be here whether they leave or they leave. <laughs> And then you're going to be left with just us, the people who are a little bit younger, and we're, and we're going to have to know how to lead this church. <laughs> Getting off the boat means participating in the work that God is already doing. I want you all to understand that getting off the boat means participating in the work that God is already doing. So I, I, I want to challenge the leadership and the church. Hey, maybe if we want more teachers, maybe we should train more teachers. Maybe if we want more people to come up and do the Lord's Supper, maybe we should train people how to do the Lord's Supper. Because a lot of times they're just afraid. They don't, know, they don't want to mess it up. They see people get up here and they have gifts and they have talents. Like, oh, no, I don't know how to do that. I can't do it. And for the people who aren't participating in something, maybe you should put yourself in a position to be trained a position to be used, a position to participate in the glory of God. Because I know one thing, that if we are on the same page, if we are on the same team doing God's work in this church, that it will translate to us doing God's work outside in our communities.
And I know this for a fact because what will happen in the process is that people like Mark and Ed won't be overwhelmed and they have to do all this stuff for the church. They can actually say, you know what, now I'm freed up and I can go do some other stuff, dealing with the church, doing the community stuff. And then we can have some of the young people feel like they feel confident enough to get up here and share a message from God's word. And we're training people and doing exactly what God has called us to do. Getting off the boat means participating in the work that God is already doing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm this right now. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Milwaukee is kind of like a little mini Chicago. It's, not, it's very violent. My sister was standing in our doorway, a bullet went past her head. She almost got shot. Um, another girl down the street we used to play with, um, they did a drive-by shooting on the house, and they only killed the girl. They didn't even hit the, the gang members. Um, my brother and I, we saw people dead in the garbage cans. Um, just a bad situation. Not only did we have a bad situation, we also grew up very poor, so we would have to walk. I mean, you know how you hear old people, oh, we had to walk miles up here. Like, we literally had to walk miles to go get food from churches that were offering food. That's how poor we were. And so I grew up in that situation. I grew up very poor, very violent situation. And um, unfortunately, something worse happened to me as I got 14 years old. Um, my mother, um, she, she um, passed away of a heart attack at the age of 32. And so, um, you know, I, I remember that day, uh, my brother and my, my mom was being carried down the stretcher. She was holding her chest, and my brother was crying. My little brother was crying. And I was like, why is he crying? Because here's the deal. My mom has a lot of heart issues and medical issues. She would always go to the hospital, but she would always come back. And so when she didn't come back, I was interested in why this time my little brother was crying. He was like, hey, I was like, hey, why you, why you cry? Did you know that my mom was going to die? He said, no. My mom kept saying over and over again, God, please don't let me die. And he let her die. And I was upset at God. You wonder why I was upset at God? Because when I was a little kid, even though I didn't grow up in the church, we used to have the, the church people come and they're like, hey, we'll give you food if you come in and sing, just a little light of mine, I'm going to shine. And you hear a Bible verse, and he would tell us in these Bible verses, right, that God will answer your prayers. And the one time I remember my mom praying a prayer to God, he doesn't answer it. I don't want to have anything to do with that God. And so from 14 to 16, I had hatred towards God. Um, I didn't grow up with my father either. When I was 16, I finally met him. Um, he, uh, he invited me. He said, hey, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I want you to come down, and, and we're going to hang out. Well, he gets there, and he just happens to be a Christian. Oh, my gosh. I don't really want to do this. But at the same time, you know, I want to have a good relationship with my father. So I went to church and did everything. I thought all those people were cuckoo. I was like, whatever. I wasn't paying attention to what was happening. And he pulled me aside one day. He said, I can tell that you're not really into this whole God thing. But if you don't mind, would you mind sitting down and reading the book of Matthew with me? No, but I mean, I didn't say that. I really, <laughs> I, really I said, sure, but I really didn't want to study the Matthew. I wanted to have anything to do with God. So he sits me down. We studied the book of Matthew, and it was amazing. I fell in love with Jesus Christ at that day. But then I had to go back to Las Vegas, and I'm a teenager in Las Vegas with no religion. So you can only imagine the stuff that I actually did do. So fast forward, I'm 18 years old. I have ran track 
for four years. I was pretty fast, faster dude in the school, but I wasn't the fastest dude in the, in the district or the state. So I didn't really have any scholarships. I didn't have any scholarships coming my way. And then this girl, she went to a small little college called Cascade College. And she had got a scholarship, and she wasn't fast, but she got a scholarship. I'm like, how you get a scholarship? You got fast. <laughs> but she got a scholarship. She's like, oh, yeah, you, you, might, like this. you might like this school, blah, blah, She's telling me about it. I'm like, so I went to Cascade College, and I, I just dived in. Even though it was a Christian college, it was the only college offering me a scholarship, so I went there. And I get there. We, go on, we have a freshman orientation. We have this amazing thing going on. I'm falling in love with God, falling in love with Jesus. I come down the mountain. I call my sister. I'm like, hey, you know, this is amazing. All this stuff is happening, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you didn't hear, did you? I'm like, hear what? <laughs> She's like, Antoine is dead. Antoine had been my best friend since I was five years old. It was um, middle of the day, probably like 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, he was on the bus stop. Dude comes up to him, knows him. He's like, hey, how you doing? Whatever, whatever. Woo, woo, all this stuff. Um, he turns around to go back this way. A 13-year-old boy pulls out a gun puts it to his head and kills him. All because he wanted to be in the gang. And in order to be in that gang, you had to kill somebody that you knew. Devastated. But as I look back at my life, I know that God was working in my life. I know that God was working everything out for his purpose. And see, it took a person, a young girl, 18 years old, to sit me down and read the Bible with me, to study the Bible with me, to put me in a position to fall in love with God despite all of the crazy stuff that happened to me. I only just told you part of it. And that girl ended up becoming my fiance and eventually becoming my wife. You see, God was already doing the work in me. God was already preparing me for something magnificent, something greater than myself, despite my circumstances, despite all the things that was happening to me. But it took one person, it took my wife, to say, I am willing to participate with you, God, in the transformation of what's happening. You see, without my wife doing it, maybe I don't come to know Jesus the way I do. Maybe it takes a little bit longer. I kind of get frustrated by that because I wish this other people would have told me before about the saving love in Jesus Christ because I wouldn't have to go through all the stuff that I went through. I wouldn't have to have gone through the anger management. I wouldn't have to go through the sexual addiction. I wouldn't have to have gone through all the stuff that I was going through because somebody would have told me about the amazing love and grace of Jesus Christ and participated with what God was already doing. But it only took one person my wife to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to participate in what God is already doing. For we are all God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared and advanced for us to do. So I asked you this question. It's merely coming to church, participating with Jesus? And I know, you know, the answer to the question, the answer is no. It's not enough. It's not merely enough to just come and participate with Jesus. We have to, we have to, we have to get off of the boat. 
Because if you look around in your workplaces, at your schools, if you look around in your neighborhoods, there are people needing the love and mercy of Jesus Christ, and God is working things out, and he's making moves, and he's doing this. He's saying, I want this to happen. I need this to happen. And he puts you in that situation for a reason. He puts you at your job for a reason. Don't complain about your job and how ungodly those people are. Maybe you should be saying, maybe God put me here so I can participate in the work that he's doing. Maybe he put me here so I can participate in this community. That God has always working, always planning things, always doing things. He's just waiting on us to participate with him. So the question I have for you, are you ready to get off the boat? Or are you simply okay with sitting around waiting on the world to change? This is a time in our service where we have an opportunity. If you have been living in a life that is against God, a life that has not been um, with God, you can get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And no time is like the president today to do that. But also we have people in the audience who, for whatever reason, had got baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but have been sitting on the boat waiting on the world to change. If you are wanting to have God come into your life and change and be a change maker with God, or if you have been sitting on the sidelines waiting on the world to change, I invite you right now. The elders will be up here along with myself, and we will pray for you, and we will, we will be with you, and we will um, try to put you in a position to get off the boat and do things for the glory of God. If you have any prayers or anything that you would like for us to talk to you about, please come forward now as we stand and as we sing. I stand to praise you, but I fall on 